Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. Take your Bible and uh, turn to Luke's Gospel as we continue our study in this wonderful Gospel of Certainty from Dr. Luke, of, of the beloved physician. And we're going to consider a message I've entitled, The Greatest News of All History. The Greatest News. Now, if you, if you read much theology, you'll find that this section is called the Annunciation. Another way of saying the pronouncement of great news, the announcements. If you were in school, and, and all of you were, I can tell you, look smart. Uh, there's always in homeroom, right, the announcement time. The assistant principal or somebody come on and make the announcements for, for the day. Well, this, uh, this section is called the Great Annunciation because of that. I'll never forget uh, the number of times standing at Nazareth. That, the, uh, that town in northern Galilee, and, uh, and being at various sites there where they say this took place here. Now, we don't really know for sure, but Mary received the announcement. There's a, a beautiful church that's built on one spot that we want. It's quite, quite beautiful, uh, but we don't know exactly where it is. It seems like she was indoors just by the verbiage here when the, uh, the announcement came to her of what was going to happen but uh, we don't know. Well, the greatest news of all history. Let's, uh, let's read our text first. Shall we do that? Let's pick it up in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 26, and read it through verse 38. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, uh, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. You'll be great. It will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Well, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel Gabriel left her. Well, the greatest news of all history. You know, there have been some great announcements made in human history. You might be thinking of some of them. What are some of the great announcements 
that have been flashed across the newswire, maybe the internet, maybe the headlines of the major papers uh, through, uh, through the years and decades and centuries of time. Let me suggest a couple. I'll never forget this one. The eagle has landed. What did that refer to? Huh? Yeah, that's right. July 1969. The eagle has landed. Quite a, quite a story. Quite a triumph. How about another one? Victory in Europe. I wasn't alive at this point. Some of you might have been. I, th I think you were. Victory in Europe. VE Day. That meant a great deal to my dad. Victory in Europe. We, the whole world at war. Can you imagine that? A previous generation. Uh, and uh, finally victory. Or victory, J victory in Japan. Another war. What, what are some of the other announcements that, uh, that you've heard that you'd say, well, that was really great. I was going to sneak in and say the Bills won the Super Bowl, but that's still prophetic. <laughs> what? Do I hear unbelief in the house of the Lord? Now, what are some other announcements that, uh, that stand out? Anything come to mind when you think of it? What? Yeah, the wall has fallen. That's right. Checkpoint Charlie. Yeah. Yeah, how about that? And Faith and I were there the week after. How about that? With her mom and dad and Checkpoint. I went to the cab. I said, take us to Checkpoint Charlie. It, it came down. He tried to explain it in English. And for, through his It's no longer there. <laughs> the wall came down. What are some others? Some great announcements. School's out for summer. How about that one? <laughs> I still get excited. I've been in school in years, but when the kids are out for school, I feel like, hey, it's... Well, wait a minute, I have to work. You know? <laughs> I don't know, I still get excited about it. And when Labor Day comes, I'm kind of bummed out a little bit, you know, like, yeah. Anything else? Come on, you can think of some other announcements. Anything come to mind? Are we brain dead? Are we, yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Ramona. Ramona doesn't have to work on Monday. Okay, we're glad for that. You and John. John doesn't work Monday either. Anyone else off tomorrow? Okay, yeah, look at that, a few. Well, the rest of us will keep it moving. <laughs> That's right. Jim? This day will live in infamy. Who said that? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. After the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Yeah, my mother told me. She was, they were all by the radio when they heard that. It sent shivers. It was a Sunday when that was announced. Anything other announcements? Well, it doesn't matter. Oh, yeah, that was a bad one, yeah. September 11th, yeah. Wow. Well, anyway... Uh, some great announcements, some huge announcements, but let's focus on the great ones. Gabriel here in our text was given the privilege, and wasn't it a privilege, of announcing the greatest event of all time up to that point. Wow, what an assignment. You ever have some news that uh, you weren't allowed to share, and you're just going to bust until you could get it out? You know, like maybe, maybe a surprise or something, and you're like, I can't keep it in, I can't keep it. Imagine Gabriel, God in the throne room, that great angel, God said, listen, I want you to go down and, and visit the Virgin Mary, this young maiden in Nazareth, 
And I bet he made haste to get down there to deliver the greatest news up to that point in human history that had ever been given, ever. What a privilege for him. Well, the greatest news. All other announcements up to that point and even pale by, by their comparison to this one. Well, the angel Gabriel, you'll note from our earlier study in the, in the Gospel of Luke, is now making in the Gospel his second appearance. This time, the first time he approached Zechariah. What a contrast. And, and, and Dr. Luke is showing the com- contrast, similarities and differences. Uh, first time, uh, Gabriel appears to Zechariah, the priest in the, in the temple. I mean, this is a highfalutin, high-day city of Jerusalem. He appeared there and announced that uh, uh, his uh, aged wife, uh, Elizabeth's womb, way beyond uh, uh, bearing years, would have a child. And, uh, and Zach, the priest, he had been praying for this and for a nation all those years, failed to believe it. He didn't believe it. The man of God refused to believe. The man of belief refused to trust. And so the angel said, mm, you won't be able to speak until it all happens. Look at a contrast now. We have the angel Gabriel making a second appearance, going to Nazareth, we'll talk about that, not to the center of power, the center of all that, with the thronging crowds, to a lowly young maiden in an out-of-the-way place to give the greatest news that was ever known. What a contrast when you compare and contrast the differences uh, of the two settings. They're amazing. And, but he, uh, he approaches this young woman with a message from God, and Mary was chosen to receive the greatest honor that any woman has ever uh, been given. You imagine that? It was the hope of Jewish of, of girls, and then as it narrowed down to the Jewish girls, that uh, they would have the privilege of bearing this, uh, this, this Messiah. Uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing. And I think about it as a man, you think about it this way, just uh, how wonderful must it be for uh, a woman, uh, a would-be mom, I think of Faithy and her three pregnancies, for a woman to bear in her own body uh, a little fledgling life that grows in, in all the would-be potential of that life. You know, it, uh, what, what an incredible privilege and joy that is. Have you noticed there's a difference between men and women? We live in a culture that wants to paint it all the same, but God has made both in God's image, yet there is uniqueness of purpose and design. Uh, there is, and you cannot uh, negate that, and, and, and what a blessed thing. You think of that, the bearing of life and all the potentiality of that and all that may come from that. Uh, if God should give many, many generations from that one child. What a, what a great privilege. It almost causes all that a man may do, you think of that, uh, to be insignificant by comparison. I mean, we make widgets, or we make paint, or we make plant corn, right? And we're glad for these things, certainly we are, but the privilege of bearing life. Now, how about the this maiden who would, would receive by God's perfect design, and it was God's design to bear this one that was promised from Genesis 3, that there would be the seed of the woman, that one day uh, the deliverer would come, it would come from a woman. 
Now, you, you remember in chapter 4, verse 1 of Genesis, when, and you can imagine the first baby that was ever born, what, uh, what, what Eve must have thought. But she, she says there, and in the Hebrew, when Cain is born, he's the first one, I have received a man-child. I mean, she looked at the baby, and it sort of looked like Adam, but, you know, in a small form. And she thought that he would be the deliverer. And she expresses in those early verses of Genesis 4 that hope. Well, that was not to be, was it? It was not to be. In fact, look at the fruit of her womb. The first one born would be a murderer, would kill his own brother Abel. Oh, the sadness of that. But uh, as time would go on, there would be one that would be chosen. It wasn't random. We're not uh, rolling dice. God has a perfect plan. History is his story and right at the right moment, the right time, the right place, God would orchestrate all these things, and uh, there was a maiden, and she needed to know about it. And God sent his, his glorious angel, full of splendor, Gabriel, to her, and, and said, Mary, you have been chosen to receive the greatest honor. Well, in our text, and you should know that Mary, really, did you know in the Greek it's Miriam? You know some people named Miriam? Miriam? Uh, Moses' sister Miriam. That's the that's the word for Mary, uh, in, in the Greek. And so, in God's plan, Mary and Elizabeth are women woven together through mir- miraculous births. Uh, Elizabeth was Mary's older cousin. She was quite a bit older. Uh, her womb was barren and closed, and uh, Mary's was never open, being uh, being virgin. Well, there are five observations, and we we can't afford the luxury of spending much time on any one of these because of our time, although I enjoy doing that. There are five observations regarding the greatest announcement of all, uh, which ought to move us to respond to the Lord with the same kind of obedience. Mary is going to be exhibit A for us insofar as God comes. This is my will. And she says, whatever you want, Lord, I will do. That's the takeaway from the message. It really is. God doesn't have that for anyone else. There are no more Christ childs being born. There's no more. If God has come to you, he's visited you, and he's visited you with salvation, he, uh, he has a will and a purpose and a design for you. And though it's different from Mary, in each one of us it's different. The takeaway is that each one of us should say, Ask Mary, whatever you want to do with my life, Lord, so let it be. I will trust you. And I will walk with. Very different from uh, her cousin by marriage, Zechariah, who's like, but, 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 you know. How big is your butt, you know? But, 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 Lord, do this, but. No, I can't. No, I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. Yes, no, no. You know, we, a Christian walks by faith. That's what makes a Christian a Christian. We trust God and take him at his word. So that's the takeaway. So five observations. I remind you that Mary does not extend any grace to anybody. And we'll talk about that a little more completely in a moment because blessed Mary, uh, it must break her heart in heaven if she knows any of this. You know, it's, uh, it's, it borders sacrilegion. She does not extend grace to any person whatsoever. We do not believe in any sort of mother goddess cult that uh, floats around. E.O. James wrote the book, uh, Cult of the Mother Goddess, and the paganizing uh, ideas and how they'll creep into the church. And, and that's happened, where good truth has been polluted with wrong thinking. 
Mariolatry and these, these kind of things. Blessed Mary, a blessed role. Uh, her, uh, her role to us is not that she gives us or anyone grace, uh, but that she serves as a tremendous example of one uh, who trusted the Lord. That is her role to us. She's uh, trusting God. Well, the first observation is, is that God initiates. God is the great initiator. He sent his messenger to announce our salvation. We read that in verse 26. In the, <clears throat> in the sixth month, that's, that's not June, <clears throat> the sixth month. It means the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. That's what he's saying. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, the town of Galilee. God is a great initiator. Uh, it's a theological truth that, that rings from cover to cover of our Bible. God initiates and we respond. You never initiate toward God. People don't search for God and I'm on a quest to find him. That is wrong thinking. It is unbiblical. We are running the other way. Run for the woods. Hide in the trees. And we do that. We run among all the culture, uh, high points, or wealth, or pleasure, or education, universities. And we hide there. And as if God doesn't see us or know anything about us. For in him we live, move, and have our being. Acts 17 says that. He, he, you cannot run from God. Uh, God is the initiator. He sends his messenger, Gabriel, to announce our salvation. A God is sovereign and has an all-encompassing plan. Uh, the redemptive plan is his plan. And it's not helter-skelter. You may have a plan for a day. You make your day timer. You do your schedule. You're hoping to do this or that. Things come up <clears throat> uh, and, and so on. You try to do your... God has a plan. It's right on schedule. It's never late. And he always does exactly what he wants to do. It's right on time. And we can take great comfort in that and trust him in that. That is the teaching of God in Scripture. He is sovereign. And it was now time for God to send his his only son. Galatians 4.4, 4, uh, Paul says it in a different place. In fact, I'll give you a looser translation of that. But when the time had fully come, what does that mean? Well, there was a plan. There was a scheme. Uh, and it was the unfolding of God's eternal counsel and decree called history. But when the time, the time that God had foreordained, had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman. That's, e, that's, that's Mary, born under, under the law. God is sovereign. It was time for him to send his son. For this to occur, God moves towards us. He's the initiator. We did not move towards him, and we never have. God has always been the initiator. Always, always. Creation reveals this. You didn't do anything for creation. You haven't, you, you haven't been here that long. You and I sort of just got off the bus. We look around, we get a few years, get a few letters after our name maybe, and make such uh, uh, rebellious pontifications like, there is no God, or where, you know, like, give, please, sit down, you know. God's not impressed. God is the creator of all. And at a certain point in eternity past, he spoke. 
And the creation came into being. He initiated it. He began it. And all the details of all of this went out. And we know it as the universe and the world. The macro, the greatness of it, the micro. You look through a microscope. God is the initiator of everything. He speaks the power of God. And it happens. Everything came into being. Well, salvation is the same. Exactly the same. God initiates. Now it was the right time. It wasn't a hundred years earlier or a hundred years later or maybe I'll try it now. Who knows? Does it matter? Does it? Yes. God had orchestrated all of that. So find comfort and grace in that. Salvation is the same. We saw this uh, first in in the garden uh, where uh, God had initiated that the seed of the woman, he said, would uh, be the one who would crush the head of Satan, a death blow. Well, God sent his message to Mary by his angel Gabriel. And here it is. The Savior is coming. He is coming. Let me say something about Mary, because there's so much confusion uh, today and in some churches. There's a Roman Catholic prayer that goes something like this. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us, sinners now and at the hour of death. Well, that prayer is not biblical. That is not a biblical prayer. I'm sorry to tell you that. I mean, there's a lot of biblical-sounding words in it, and it sounds good. But why isn't it? And incidentally, Hail Mary is, uh, in the Latin, the words, Ava Maria, that incredibly beautiful uh, a song that some of you know, and sometimes it's sung at, at weddings, Ava Maria, means Hail Mary. It comes right from this passage. Well, Hail Mary, full of grace. Where did that come from? Full of grace. Comes from the the Vulgate, the Latin translation of the um, of the scriptures, and even uh, Roman Catholic scholars uh, today agree that that was a poor translation, and should never have been translated that way. You see, Mary is not full of grace in the sense that she's the repository of grace; she is the recipient of grace, like all of us. Now, that's all the difference in the world. If Mary is full of grace, she's divine, but she's not. God comes to this maiden girl, and he shows favor and grace to her. She receives his favor. That's what we're saying. Like you and I have in common grace, and like you and I have, if you know, Christ as your Lord and Savior. She is the recipient, like us. Blessed art thou among women... And that's true. Blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. That is true. Holy Mary, wait a minute now. Holy Mary, Mary's not holy. She is in the extent of being sanctified. She needed to be saved. She needed a Savior. But uh, to say at this moment in her life, that she's holy is wrong. It's the wrong idea. She was born of sinful parents. She was a sinner that needed uh, to be saved. I believe she was saved at this point. She was a godly woman, a young maiden, who knew the Word of God. We'll see that later. But 
But no, she is the mother of, <clears throat> of God, probably better put, the mother of Jesus, unless you get the wrong idea of mother of God. And then the prayer goes on, pray for us. Mary doesn't pray for us. That's the idea, the erroneous idea that saints pray for people now here on earth. The Bible never teaches that. And Mary doesn't. I think, really, that Mary herself would be extremely, imagine her to be extremely grieved by such thoughts because they're not biblically accurate. We want to honor Mary. She has a holy estate. She was wonderfully chosen. Only her, it was unique. She was wonderfully saved. She was the mother of the Lord Jesus. And so she's blessed. She's blessed, highly favored, given the greatest uh, task that any woman, any mother could ever have. And so we honor her indeed for that. And we're thankful. But we don't, we don't count on her praying. She doesn't pray for us at the moment of death or for any of her prayers during the other time, okay? Mary does not have the grace to give. She was the recipient of grace like you and I are. Well, so what can we say in summary about Mary? Mary was not without sin. She was not. In her own words, we're going to look later. If you look at verse 47 in her great song, she praises God in song after this visit. She calls uh, the Lord her Savior, that she needed a Savior. If she was holy and without sin, she didn't need a Savior, see, by her own words. I'll never forget uh, in our church that I grew up in, we had many folks who, had, who loved the Lord and, and folks that had, uh, some had come out of uh, some of the Catholic churches. And I remember one dear saint, she was just a wonderful lady. And uh, she, she's the one that pointed this out to me one day in the foyer. She said, you know, Terry, she said, Mary needed a Savior. I never knew that. All my life I was trained and taught. I went to Catholic school. And uh, there were, in her own words, she confesses she needed to And that, I'll tell you, that stuck in my mind. In the years that I've studied the world, she was exactly, exactly right on it. Second, so she was not without sin. She needed to say. Also about Mary, in summary, she did not remain a virgin. There, there are some papal encyclicals that have flow that she remained a virgin. Well, we know that that's not the case because the text goes on to say that Jesus had natural brothers and sisters. They were the natural offspring of Joseph and Mary. Jesus was born first. It was a virgin conception, but uh, Mary had other uh, children. Uh, James is one of them. He wrote the epistle to the James in our, in our Bible. Uh, Jude is another one. And he had sisters as well. And so, third and final, she is not able to give grace to others. So just to, uh, just to honor Mary, to think rightly about her, to, to bless the Lord for her and her holy and wonderful uh, 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 God's will for her life as right well as we should have. Uh, Ave Maria, hail Mary. That's what the angel says, not in Latin, uh, but uh, he did. There's a second, so God initiates. Second uh, observation regarding this greatest of all announcement is of God's grace. It's for the lowly. Aren't you glad for that? It's for all, of course, but there's a special thing for, uh, for the lowly, the poor, the poor in spirit. Uh, God, A, didn't send his angel to Jerusalem, right? He could have. That was the center of center. Uh, you know, I've heard that before. You know, how many times you hear that? Uh, if, uh, 
If uh, uh, at that time Rome was the, the chief country, the empire in the world, Rome was the center, and, and that was where it all happened. And today, uh, I've heard it said, America is the center, uh, the greatest place, and if it is, and then people along that line will say, well, New York City is the, is the center of the center, and it doesn't happen there, it doesn't happen. I know there's a lot of competition between what Washington, D.C. and New York City, you know, and, and there's a tug of war going on. You can almost feel it between the two and, and some of those things. But, but God didn't send this angel to Jerusalem, which uh, was, the, was the religious godly center, so-called, uh, to make this announcement, to find uh, a young woman there. Uh-uh. Well, what a contrast. I already mentioned this Zechariah, number one, a priest in the temple. Well, he's, he's, a, he's a priest, he's a country pastor, if you will, and his wife, aged, after many faithful years, finally given his highest of all days. You could only go in there once. And he went in there on that one afternoon to the altar of incense to pray. What a what contrast between, here's Mary now. The Gabriel visits Mary up north, probably 75 miles north of Jerusalem. He visits a young woman in a small town. Kent Hughes says, and I have it on your sheet, uh, Mary is a nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. And that's not bad. That gives you the idea. What a contrast, right? Gabriel finds it. God initiates, but it's God's grace. It's for the lowly, far, far from the centers of power. I often find that, that God will often do that. He'll raise up... Um, folks in the country to go to the city to proclaim his gospel. He, uh, often I've seen this. God takes the unlikely and uses them greatly. They're a vessel in his hands. Uh, one man writes, it is doubtful whether Gabriel could have found a more unlikely person to greet anywhere in all of Israel. And he finds God's appointed person, Mary, in Nazareth. Wow. A little cow town north. Well, what about her? She's poor? I mean, that's a very poor town. Uh, financially poor. She's uh, uneducated. Probably because it was just typical for the ladies in those days uh, weren't uh, well-educated like the opportunities we enjoy today uh, for men and for ladies, and we're glad for that. She's uh, probably a teenager at this point. Some suggest she's 12 or 13, maybe 14, maybe 15. I don't see too many suggesting that she's uh, older than that. Uh, but, uh, wow, uh, a very insignificant person, we might, we might just say. Wow, God's grace it reminds us it's for the lowly, it's for the insignificant, it's for the down and out. Uh, all you that are lowly, come to the cross. There's room there. God calls. I mean, it, the message just shouts to us from the Word. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad the message of the gospel isn't only for those who would have the wherewithal to be accepted at Harvard or Yale? Right? We, we, we tried nobody, right? Not, don't have enough gray matter up there or didn't work hard enough to develop it or something, right? God's grace is for all. Come, come. Don't you love that? Come. The Olympics are going to be held in 2016 down in Rio de Janeiro. What a beautiful city that is. 
I'll never forget a lot of years ago in my own studies to have been down there and to studied in Rio. And uh, you'll see that, that uh, the Copa Vada, the, the statue of Christ there at the top, and his arms are out. You can see it anywhere in the city of Rio de Janeiro, overlooking the ocean. It's so beautiful. The statue of Christ welcoming. And that's it. The humble, the poor, the grace of God is rich. Wow. I remind you, I remind you that God could have sent his daughter to Caiaphas, the high priest, wealthy, fair, and beautiful, but he didn't. He did not. It shouts to us God's grace to the lowly and to the humble. Wow. Wow. Nazareth. You know, there's a statement made in John 146. Do we have that? John 146. You wonder what people thought in Jesus' day of Nazareth being an out-of-the-way place. Nazareth. Can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Jesus, come and see, Philip said. He's, Philip is taking him to, to see Jesus, to meet him for the first time. He says, he's Jesus of Nazareth. Can anything, can anything? I mean, do people say that about mechanics? Can anything good come from South Central Pennsylvania? You've got to be kidding me. I mean, Adams County, they grow some nice apples. And uh, some other things, fruits and nuts, it seems, are like there's a bunch of us. Can anything good come from there? It's sort of the same. Do you notice we're not sort of in the avant-garde of the power of what's happening? I mean, we're not New York City, Wall Street. We're not the halls of D.C. or, or all that. Now we got Harrisburg, and thank the Lord, they finally got a budget. How about that? Miracle of miracles. But we're sort of not it. Well, we're not as bad as Nazareth. Wow. God could have sent uh, his uh, son to the daughter of Caiaphas, but he didn't. Remember, God resists the proud. And we tend to be very prideful. And we disguise it in ways. Pride of accomplishment, pride of possession, pride of learning, pride of physical prowess. I can whip you in basketball. <laughs> Probably so. Or I, our, my team's better than yours. Somehow it's my team. Like I'm on the team. Like I got a jersey. Hey, you out of, get out of the bench up into the stands, you know? Like, uh, there's, and we know what we mean by that. But God resists that. So be very, very careful about that. From one cover to the other of our Bible, he hates the arrogance when he finds it in us. All of this was to foreshadow. I remind you, this this God's grace for the lowly, it was to foreshadow the humiliation that Jesus would endure for the salvation of all sinners, to rescue us from our sins. I remind you that Jesus had, he had to, he had to enter into the misery of our lost and our fallen condition. What a huge gap he bridged. Mm. He came like us without sin, that he might reconcile us, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Mm. Amazing. He did it all. Well, so she's greeted. Mary, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Wow, God's grace for the lowly. Well, there's a third observation in our text, and that not only God initiates and incidentally, men, we said this Wednesday night or the other night, you are the initiator. God has designed you with that office on a different level, but you are the, you are the leader in your home, and you are to be the initiator. And your, your wife, if she's godly, 
and, and loves her, wants you to lead and wants you to initiate her, to initiate with her. You know, a lot of times, although it's a funny day today, a man should initiate in, in pursuing a woman in courtship and dating and marriage. You know, it shouldn't be the other way around. I know that today the teens think, well, the girls can call the boys and all the rest. Uh, and it's anything is up for grabs. But you occupy that, it's an office, technically. Say, I wasn't elected. No, you were made. <laughs> and you're the head. You're the leader. And you're the initiator. You're the, the protector. You are, you are to lead to provide. You are to lead in romance. You are to lead in, in caring and provision and all these things. See? And uh, that's what God is. He is the great initiator. He does it perfectly and permanently. God's grace for the Lord. Third, God reveals. Our God is the God who has revealed. He, he tells us what we need to know. He tells us what we would not otherwise know. You can look at the clouds until forever, and you'll never discover your need of Christ. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the Word of God. God teaches us, gives us the book, preserves it, controls the process so that what was written was Holy Scripture. It was a book like no other book. I have many, many books in my library. This book is, is different from all the rest of them, all the rest of them. It is God's Word. It's, it is a treasure. I love Wycliffe Bible Translated. Could there be anything greater that, that you could give a people beyond the gospel than to give them a copy of God's wonderful Word in their own language? It's no wonder that the work of missions around the world went into places far flung and, and taught folks the Word and then taught them to read and to write and translated the Word in, into their, their language. What a treasure. And then don't ever forget, some of you don't know that, that those in, of our English translation, they died at the stake for what we ho-hum assume. And we carelessly, oh, I forgot my Bible, take it. You should always bring your Bible to church, always, always, always. Got to check out the pastor, make sure he's right. I don't speak without error, I make mistakes. You know, be a Berean in that, check the, the Word of God to see if these things aren't so. But in English, the early translators died. They died at the stake. They were burned to death for what we have. Well, God reveals and tells us what we would not other notice. The announcement here, you're going to have a son, Mary. Notice it's not, well, we think it's a son, we're not sure. Let's do a test here and find out if it's male or a little boy or a little girl, right? You know, it is, no, it's a son. Notice it's definite. And uh, you're to give him the name Jesus. Now, the name Jesus uh, is a form it means uh, of the word means uh, God saves. And so it was the first hint that her son would be the promised Savior. Well, this would be no ordinary child. As uh, Gabriel goes on to tell us a, a bit of a description about this uh, child, uh, that he would be, in verse 32, that he would be great. Great. Now, what a contrast from John. If you just... Remember a few verses earlier when Zechariah was told by the same angel, he'll be great before the Lord. But Jesus, by contrast, simply, he will be great. Megas, mega, right? We use that word sometimes. Great, it's a word for God. Only God is great. There is no qualifier with that. What a difference. Great. He is 
Second, he'll be called Son of the Most High. Uh, that's uh, one of the David's uh, most wonderful uh, favorite titles for God, Son of the Most High. You know, Son, you should know, and I'm showing my, my, my age. Son, uh, a good way to think of it, at least for the older, those of you who are older, about my age and more, uh, is the idea of a carbon copy of the Father. Carbon copy. You know, it's, it's funny when we, when, we see, when we send an email today, it still has CC on it, right? And I often wonder what those that are 40 and under think the CC stands for, you know? Of course, uh, we know, that's right. I used to put the carbon in there. and uh, somebody, How many of you have never done that, put carbon in a... Jim, you have. Now, come on. No, oh, oh, Jim, you're gonna, you have done that. How many have not done that? I'd like to say how many have not done carbon... Look at that, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten... All right, yeah, the carbon paper. And when you use a carbon paper sheet, you had to get another one then, right? Yeah, and that's the idea. It was the exact uh, facsimile. It was exactly the same. Uh, a son was uh, uh, the same as his father. That's the way it was thought of. That's why they, they remember in John 10, they picked up stones. Why did they do it? Because he claimed to be uh, the son of God. Now, there are those in the Jehovah Witness that will say, they use the Western idea of son where he's less than. When I was in my home growing up, my father was the great man. I was, not the, I was not equal with my father. And if I thought I was in those younger years, I found out quickly I wasn't. I wasn't, and he's in charge, and I'm not. Okay? So that's kind of the Western idea. But in the Oriental idea, son meant carbon copy of that. Son of God. And so the, uh, wrongfully, our Jehovah Witness friends have said, well, son means less than, therefore Jesus is less than God, therefore, and, and our Mormon friends do the same thing. They have a lesser, lesser God. It's, 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 it's unbiblical. He is verily God of verily God, verily man of verily man. This mysterious union of God and man, son of the most high. Well, third, he'll be given the throne of his earthly father, David. And that's shouted 2 Samuel 7, 15 and 16 there and 17 in that Davidic promise that, uh, that Samuel gave to David that, that he would uh, have a son one day that would uh, rule and reign on his throne forever and ever and ever. And that's why he had, Jesus had to be born in the city of David. We all say those verses at Christmas time. Born in the city of David, Bethlehem, a son, Christ the Lord. And we all know those words. And fourth, he'll rule forever over Jacob's house and his kingdom will never end. The only way that a kingdom doesn't ever end is if you're God and you live forever. And that's the Lord Jesus. Well, God reveals. He's revealing to Mary this announcement. You're going to have a son. He reveals the character, that he is the one that will save. He reveals elements in describing his ministry and work, that he is the great one. And finally, it would be the Holy Spirit who would create this in your womb. He will overshadow you, is the word that he uses in verse 35, the overshadowing. It, uh, it reminds us, of, uh, of Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. We're in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
and the Spirit of the Lord was over the water, shadowing it and, and bringing out his creative activities uh, of the earth that was not yet full and finished and ready for Adam and Eve. Well, God reveals. Well, the fourth uh, observation regarding this, the grace of all announcements, moving you and I towards obedience. Not only God initiates, it's God's grace for the lowly, for us. God reveals that which we would never know. But fourth, God does the impossible. He creates a baby in a virgin. Listen, you say, a lot of folks say, well, I can't believe that. I can't believe that. I've never seen it. Well, it never happened before. And if you can't believe it, you have a problem with God. In fact, uh, let me suggest, you think you're God. Oh, you may not use that word. God is God and you are not. He is great and you are puny. And God is the God of the impossible. With God, remember that? How, uh, in the salvation of a rich man, you know, Jesus said that. You, you know, it's harder for a rich man to be saved than for, what, a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now, that's pretty impossible. I've ridden camels and I've looked at needles. <laughs> and they don't fit, right? Talk about the Real square block in the round hole. No way. Impossible. That's the message. And that's why the next phrase, Jesus says, what is impossible for man is possible with God. God is able to save wealthy men and women who tend to cling and find security in their wealth and possessions. God is able even to bring a wealthy man or woman to their knees and they they confess Christ as Savior. Well, it's the same theme. God is the God of the impossible. I love Ann Kimmel's book. Years ago, she wrote that. I love the word impossible, she wrote, in that little book there. Because I know when I come to, in my own life to impossible circumstances and situations that are far beyond me. And have you noticed most things are beyond us? If, unless you're not like me, they are. I love the word impossible because I know at that point God must do it. And he must do it for me. Well, that's what was happening here. Don't miss that. God does the impossible. Mary interrupts this glorious announcement. I love it. She's got her hand up. Angel's making this announcement. You ever teach a class with kids? They're like, <laughs> she, <laughs> she, she didn't raise her hand. But she interrupts this uh, glorious announcement with, with, with a question. And she's got really two problems. Uh, you say, I got more than that. Well, you probably do. But she's got two at that moment. And the first one is she's engaged. Betrothed is the old English word for it. We already found that out in, uh, in, uh, in the beginning of this narrative in verse 27. She's pledged or betrothed or engaged to be married to a man whose name is Joseph. We know from the other gospel, he's a righteous man. He's probably maybe 10 years older than her. Something somewhat. He didn't live uh, very, very many years. I'll just say that Joseph, uh, uh, we don't see him during the public years of Jesus' ministry when he's 30 to 33. Joseph is no longer mentioned, so that silence in church history, we, we think that he had died prior to that. But she's engaged to this man, and his name is Joseph. Now, betrothal in the uh, Jewish day at this point don't think of any of our engagements here in the West. Never forget the time, and Faithy and I celebrate that, when I surprised her with a ring. 
and, uh, and asked her if she would uh, be my wife. Uh, it totally surprised her. Uh, as we sat in the car, I had planned the whole thing, and, uh, and couldn't wait, and she, was, uh, she said yes, and we went into the restaurant. She was so excited, she couldn't eat. And I, I felt like my task was over. She said yes, and I had an enormous steak, really relieved that she did say yes, and that the ring fit. You know, it's like Cinderella. Oh, you know, it's not a sign, but boy, if you can't get it over the knuckle, oh my. But it did fit, and all, and all the rest. And she sat there showing all the, all the restaurant help for her engagement ring. And, uh, and for the last 33 years, she has said, I owe her a meal. But I keep saying, when, when does it count? I take you out to the dinner, you know. <laughs> Forget all of that in the West, the way we do that. In, the, in this ancient day, it was very different. Uh, what it was, was it was really engagement was the first stage of a two-step marriage process. And it would work like this. A man would uh, get permission from uh, a woman's parents, uh, and they're often quite young. Uh, Joseph, if he's an apprentice working with stone and carpentry, maybe he's 20 years old at this point. And he would approach Mary's mother and father if they were alive and ask permission. And if they consented, then they would move into a, an official ceremony uh, of, of engagement or betrothal. And also at this period of time, there would, it was, uh, a, things would be signed, the agreement would be made, and it was binding. And uh, for, it would go on for a period of about a year. And there was also a bride price that was paid. Did you know that? There was a loss to the family of the bride, and so the, the, the hearer of dowry got to pay the dowry. Money was given to the bride's family. How about this? Some of you are saying, like, some of you guys are thinking, like, I gave a bride. I didn't, give a, I didn't get anything, you know? And that's the way it worked. Now, and they were considered husband and wife and called that way in the culture. It was a period of t- testing to see if, if uh, there would be fidelity and trust and faithfulness. Now, they wouldn't live together. There would be no sexual activity a- at all in this two-stage process. And finally, when the year was up, they would uh, have the wedding ceremony. We see that in in John 2. Jesus at the marriage feast at Canaan, where it went on for seven days. That was the culmination where where the groom would go and get his bride and take her home, and they would live together and enjoy all the privileges and the joys of married life. Well, she's betrothed. That's far more serious. Let me fill in the blanks. Some of you will ask that. Far more serious than our marriage and engagement. It was a formalized public ceremony. It lasted for a year. And they didn't enjoy sexual relation during that time. Mary, here's her second problem. Okay? You're saying I'm going to have a baby. I'm engaged. I'm in this period of testing time to show that I'm I'm pure, and uh, I'm, I, I have fidelity toward my engaged husband, Joseph. Second problem, Mary says, what's this, all this talk about a baby? I'm a virgin. Parthenos is the Greek word. Now, some of you 
have seen and have maybe traveled to Athens in our day in which we live. The Parthenon, you've heard of that? It was that beautifully constructed building that uh, was the house and dwelling of virgins. Now there it was used in pagan worship where uh, to have uh, intercourse with virgins and that pagan godless society was viewed as a strange way of worshiping. Um, needless to say, it's the same word that Parthenos. Mary's saying, wait, I'm a Parthenos. I'm a, I'm, I'm a virgin. That means she had no sexual experience. She had never known a man to use the Hebrew of, of vocabulary with that. Uh, she was, uh, since she was a godly woman, Mary was keeping herself for her marriage, particularly during this time of, of being pledged or engaged to Joseph. She was preserving her sexual purity like a prize. You don't hear that much today in our culture, but that's the way it ought to be. That's the way it ought to be for every woman, even for every man. Uh, that's God's plan and program. And, and last time I checked, he has not changed his mind on that subject. Okay? And so we ought to encourage that. And if we violated that, then we ought to find cleansing and forgiveness. Thank the Lord that God forgives us of all our sin. Well, her question, I remind you, uh, is, uh, uh, is not one of unbelief. It's, undif- it's unlike Zechariah. Remember Zechariah? He's like, how shall I know this is true? <laughs> and Mary's got her hand up. I got a question. I got an engaged husband. I'm a virgin. I don't see how this baby could happen. I mean, uh, I, I don't. Hers, hers is a question, not of unbelief, but notice it's one of curiosity. And that's altogether different. Have you ever had questions that had like an arrow stuck in them? So when, you know, they, they, they kind of set you up so that you're going to get yours. And there are others that are really innocent, that really want information. And there's no other hidden agenda there. There's no barbs in it. Well, that's kind of going to cause any hemorrhaging. Hers was like that. It was simply innocent. Uh, She's quizzical. How how can this be? In in pure, uh, sincere innocency of heart. She wanted to know further if there was anything she needed to do. And uh, I see that even as a good and an honest question. Well, I remind you that the Creator who brought life out of nothing, and He did, He spoke the Word, and the heavens and the earth came into being. God who brought life out of nothing, created human beings from the dust, is also able to create human life in the womb. Yes, God is great and we are not. He is able to do that. He's able to raise the dead. He's able to open the eyes. He's able to feed the thousands with bread that never grew on any, on any plant anywhere. God is great. Get the right view and hold that, for it will hold you through all the ups and downs of life. God is great. He's the God of the impossible. It's a, it's a verse we can live by. It really is. My God is great. He's the God of the impossible. Praise God for that. And the second quote there, notice, the laws of nature do not chain God. Don't ever think that. It's not a closed box, but rather uh, there are strings that God can manipulate and move at any time. Never violates his nature, never does, but, uh, and they're the usual way that God works and works out his will through providence. 
But God is willing and able at any time, according to to reach down and to do what he desires and has planned to do. And he does that. He does, and he has. And God, in his grace, gives Mary a sign. In case you're going, why is he even talking about Elizabeth in verse 36? Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her own life. Well, that was news to Mary. She, did, she hadn't heard that up in Nazareth. Well, why does he even say that? Well, God gives Mary this sign, a sign to prove to her that God is sovereign over the womb. He was able to take a woman who was aged and well beyond years and open her womb and allow her to conceive. And so he would do it in her womb, which had never been opened, which was the Parthenos. Wow, God is sovereign over all things. God does the impossible. He creates a baby in the Virgin. Well, fifth and last, and quickly and we're done, is that God's servant responds. And I'm reminded, all of us always respond to God and to his word. All people, they do. It's either yay or nay. I, won't, I will not have him. I will not do it. We can all have Jonah hearts. What do you want me to do? No way. I'm going the other way. We all respond. It's either that way or this way. And Mary responds rightly, doesn't she? And essentially, she says, Lord, you can do with me whatever you wish to do. Isn't that beautiful? It's beautiful. Verse 38, that's what she means. I am the Lord's servant. That's her response. I am the Lord's servant, doulos, servant. Mary answered, may it be to me as you have said. And then Gabriel leaves her. She believed God. She was willing to submit to God's will, even though it would cost her much suffering. Did you know that? It would cost her. You know, I'm reminded that to do God's will, Aaron mentioned that this morning, sometimes costs us. There's a cost. And we, we need to measure the cost and be willing to do it. Say, yes, Lord, whatever you want to do with me may be different from him and him and, or her, but I'm willing to do it, no matter what it is. Like Mary, what an example for us. Yes, Lord, yes. Well, how did Mary suffer? Well, she was going to suffer thinking she had a man that she loved. How was he going to understand her being with child? I mean, this has never happened. Now, you can imagine Joseph. Mary, run that story by me one more time. (laughs) Think about that. Think of that. Her purity, her innocence, a sinner but redeemed, wonderfully chosen. And she risks, say, yes, Lord, whatever you want, even though it might mean she might lose her man. I mean, Joseph, we know in the other gospel, considered writing a bill of divorcement for her. And she would have lost the man that she loved. She was willing to do that. God's will for her meant suffering. How about, how else did she say? How about her reputation? There wasn't a big city that she could go get lost in, right? I'll go hide for nine months out of this baby. Nobody will know. Uh-uh, no way. And Nazareth probably had a couple hundred people. They, all, they were kissing cousins. They all knew each other. They all knew each other. There was no hiding here. In a reputation, in the, in, in, in the towns. Tell us again, Mary. <laughs> and what a story. Her reputation. She was willing to, 
to serve the Lord. There was a cost. And sometimes I'm reminded when we serve the Lord, there's a cost. We have to still be willing to say, yes, Lord. How about just normal pregnancy? Some of you gals know the, 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 the anguish of that and what it does to you and the sickness and, and the throwing up. And then, and then how about the delivery? Oh, that's fun. And all of that, you know, all, there's a suffering. Lord, what is it you want me to do? Boy, I don't know if I'm ready for that. But yes, Lord, I'm your servant. Wow, what an example for us. The Lord will never call any of us to do that, but he will call you and me to, to do as well and to respond, yes, Lord, whatever you would have. And then how about the suffering of a mother as she stood at Calvary and watched her beloved son nailed to the cross Exposed, naked, beat beyond recognition. Oh, you know, you think of that with your own kid's life, right? Let, let someone mess up your kid, you do just about come unglued, right? You know, hit me, don't touch my kid, you touch my kid. I don't know, I'm, I'm not responsible for what happens, you know? <laughs> and here she is, she raised this, this anointed one, this one. Among other children, it eventually came. And then to see his ministry and to not really fully understand all that was happening. And then to see his arrest and to see him so treated. I'm telling you, there was a suffering there that only a parent could know, that only a mother could know. And she said, yes, I'm willing to do it. Well, what do I say by that? This is the right response for all of us. It is, I say to you, to respond Lord, you can do with me whatever you desire to do. You're the potter, I'm the clay. Have you sung that? We have, haven't we? He's the potter. Let's mean what we say as we offer our lives, ourselves, as the sacrifices for his purposes. Wow. Well, what are some lessons for our life and will be done? Number one. Number one, Jesus came from heaven, born of Mary, to save lost sinners. That's the whole reason that we're even moving into all this whole reason for the Bible. If you receive Christ, the Lord is your Savior. It's the great Christmas gift, we often say. Well, you must be saved. All this is for naught if you not put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and confess your sin. God will wash it all away and make your heart white as snow. Isn't that great? I love that. There's room at the cross for you and for me. I'm standing there. I'm standing there with you if you know it. If you haven't, come and join us. Come and be saved today. Please. The end of life, it's the only question that really matters. It's not how much was in the bank account or how many came to the funeral or, or uh, what did their hair look like in the coffin, right? Who cares? Did they know Jesus as Savior? Wow. Number two, thank the Lord that he is the great initiator. Thank him for that. If you know Christ, it's not because you were smart or lucky or born in the right family. God may have used that, and thank God he does, but some he doesn't, and yet he initiates all. There are some that are born in, the, in great families and godly homes that didn't, didn't trust Christ and were not saved. But the grace of God has visited you. He has initiated that. God is calling out a people. That's what the word church means. In Greek, ecclesia, it's a called out. God is the initiator. He's the one who is calling. And he called, he's called you, then thank the Lord. You ought to be walking around every day like Gomer Pyle. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Lord, thank you. 
When do you think that we say thanks enough to make it equal? Like never, right? Thank the Lord. Number three, our God is the God of the impossible. Yes, most everything is beyond us. It is. Oh, we can do some things, but God is great. He is omnipotent. And he is able to handle the difficulties in our life. Take, take heart. Keep your eyes focused. Pray often. Give these things to him. He is able to see you and me through. Number four, take God at his word. Again, we see this theme. Zechariah didn't, did he? And yeah, okay, you won't believe me. You're not going to be able to speak for about what? How many months was that? Nine months. Nine whole months. Wow. Couldn't speak that which was unspeakable. But Mary, she took the Lord at his word to a servant, the angel Gabriel. Trust him always. That's what it means to be a Christian, right? What a terrible thing when a believer acts in unbelief. Wow, should never be that. Talk about an oxymoron. I'm an unbelieving believer. What? Trust God. Take him at his word. There is nothing else. And when the bottom drops out, and it does from time to time, God forbid, but it happens. Trust God. Trust his word. That's all that you and I have. And last, allow to do God to do with your life whatever he desires. Like Mary, whatever you want, Lord. I'm a living sacrifice, a vessel. Use me, whether my life is this long or this long, or I step off the curb and get hit by a bus tomorrow, may you be glorified. Use my life for whatever you desire. You've given me unique gifts and abilities. You want me to engage in, in the work of the Lord, my family, my life, my work, my school, in my community. Oh, God, may it be so. I am the Lord's servant. May we say what Mary said in verse 30. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Well, that's the, that's the great announcement, the greatest one that has ever made up to that point. Better than the eagles landed. Better than VE, victory in Europe. The time, the appointed moment had come. And the Savior, Christ the Lord, the seed of the woman, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the greater son of David, was going to be born, born to the Virgin Mary. You're going to be miraculous. How in the world did that do that? What do I need to do? Don't worry, we'll take care of it. This Holy Spirit will come on you. Praise God. May it be. Wow. May we say that, right? Lord, use us. Use us for your glory. Amen.